Today on the show, we're going to be starting off 2024 with the Icon as we start the Icon series. And the Podski starts now. The Podski with John Baker. For over one year, the revolutionary force in audio entertainment. Welcome to the Podski. I am your host, the man of a thousand gimmicks, Johnny Bake Show. And with me today, we have the doctor, JC, and it's 2024, brand new year for the Podski. And we're starting off a brand new series with the Icon series. So what is going on, JC? New year, same old crusty me. <laughs> <clears throat> I am I'm good, man. How are you? Oh, I'm battling. I'm battling a sickness. Hopefully, it gets out of here soon. Uh, started off to, to 2024 with a bang with a sickness. Made it almost the whole way through uh, this winter here without catching anything. It finally caught up to me. So you are the living embodiment of both of our football teams right now. Just absolutely falling apart. Yeah, yeah. The full collapse happens today. And you can listen to yep. that on That's So Dolphins Talk. And you can listen to my replay of the Eagles falling apart through just your ears because you'll hear me lose my goddamn mind from wherever you are in the continental United States. <laughs> Look for the mushroom cloud available on all ocular platforms. Yeah, I have little to no hope that the Finns are gonna the Finns are gonna finish it out today. So if you're yeah, listening they, to this, yeah, it's, it's when you are bills, listening right? to this, they it's already bills. happened. Yeah, yeah they, they play, play the, the bills. bills for the for the division title. Yep, yep, basically, yeah. So whenever you hear this show on Thursday, that's already happened. So, um, but yeah, this is a new, this is a brand new year, brand new series. Uh, this is going to be something that, this is something that JC really want to do. We all know JC loves Sting. Sting is his favorite wrestler. And Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> as we're, you know, wrapping up his career here, his final match is supposed to be at Revolution. So we want to do a series kind of monthly here leading up to the the final sting match so what we're going to be doing is we're going to start with um kind of his early stages in his career do the crow uh sting in the second one and then we're going to end that with the the final week leading up to revolution we're going to do the final wrap-up on this so it's going to be a fun time and um very excited so uh is there anything else you want to cover before we uh hop into it uh you know i just he he's always been my favorite wrestler. I don't remember a lot about a lot of my childhood, but I vividly remember watching Crow Sting and that whole, you know, the lead up to Starcade 97 and I wasn't super into like the smart part of wrestling. I just liked watching wrestling. I thought it was real, blah 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 blah, right? Like that's strong memories I had as a kid and then when he came back um after retirement and and joined AEW, that was a big moment um, for me as a fan. Um, so 
I've been very, you know, grateful to be able to watch him the last couple of years and then, you know, be a part of this final run and be able to do this. And then to be able to look back on his career and understand a little bit better because by all accounts, he's a really good dude and always tries to go out of his way to help the younger uh, people in AEW really well respected. Um, so it's, it's very awesome to be able to go back in and, you know, kind of share what I've seen about um, the man called Sting. And also, uh, just a side note that I think is very important to get out ahead of this. Fuck Jim Helwig. <laughs> uh, it still carries over from Hot Shots. And... Oh, yeah, it's never ending. Oh, no, never ending. And uh, yeah, for me, I I vividly remember the warehouse vignette that they did for star K 97. I can remember mm-hmm. like seeing those commercials on. Cause my, my, I would always go over to my grandfather's uh, as he like lived right across the road. And he was a big WCW guy and he always had Turner stations on like definitely a Turner family. Although we lived in Pennsylvania, which was weird, but um, they, my pap always had WCW on whenever they do the replays or anything. So I always saw the commercials, but I like, don't really remember. I, I've since gone back and watched them and they're amazing, but it's the watching that whole build and all that. But yeah, I just remember, like, I don't really remember watching sting a lot, obviously because his, he, you know, he never went to WWF and or E until later, uh, which we'll cover in the later series. But uh, yeah, this is going to be covering today's show is going to do basically 86 up to bash at the beach 96 so we're going to be covering a 10-year window here and this is kind of the the beginnings of the stinger yep. and i i'm very excited for this this is the surfer okay. sting episode so i know that you have some good stuff here jc and i'll let you kind of take the reins here uh as we uh as we cover sting <laughs> yeah um so he was born for those of you who don't know he's born steve borden that's his you know, government name. Shoot name, um, brother. Shoot his shoot name. Uh, he's born uh, March twentieth uh, in fifty nine in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, he was actually raised in SoCal in Southern California, uh, the original SoCal uncensored, if you will. Um, and interestingly, he didn't have pro wrestling growing up. Like he wasn't into it. It wasn't on TV in California for them. Uh, like, not even Vern Gagne, the AWA. It wasn't on out there on ESPN or any of that stuff. Yeah, didn't I have that exposure was really to it. Yeah, I that's like, really interesting. He didn't have a TV or anything like that. Like, yeah, very, you'd very think, interesting. You'd think that they would have they would have had access to it in California, being such a big market and, like, the Roy Shire territory and all the stuff that not, yeah. wasn't on TV. Right. Um, so, as a kid and a young adult, he was into sports and weightlifting. Um, and then <laughs> it was interesting. Uh, he actually, by the age of 25, he co-owned a gym. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was like, interesting as well. Like he had already like co-owned one. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know kind of, what he was doing that he could afford to do that, but uh, he worked with somebody, I guess. I don't know. I, well, I know that him in Hellwig, I think they co-owned, maybe it was Luger. I think that's later on. I think I'm jumping. That was, ahead. that was him and Luger. That was prior main event fitness. They were around. Uh, Georgia, gotcha. He, well, uh, I know that, that he had a career. Years. I know that he had a career in bodybuilding too. At that point, 
yeah, maybe that's how he could afford to do it. Um, so, but a guy named Rick Bassman um, came into his gym one day, saw him walking around. Rick Bassman was a wrestling promoter and trainer. Um, and he invited him to go to a wrestling show. He had, again, he had never really seen professional wrestling, didn't really understand it or know it. Um, so he invited him to a WWF show. Um, so Sting and a regular at the gym, at the gym, Jim Helwig, fuck you, Ultimate Warrior, uh, <laughs> went to a WWF show together, uh, and it kind of led them to be want to become a wrestler. Uh, both of them wanted to become wrestlers. And I find that that seems like the, the, the age old story for any wrestler. They got found in a gym and they were brought to a show and they fell in love with it. Like that yeah. seemed that that's a ton of wrestlers that you think of over the years. They were found in a gym. Like I know that Triple H was found in a gym and like th- those things are it's synonymous with wrestling. I feel like you you're found in a gym. You're taken to the show. You're given the reins then, and you're just made a star. Damn, I should have went to the gym more. <laughs> <laughs> Coincidentally, that is funny that we mentioned the gym because um, uh, the previous gym that I used to go to, uh, for those who don't know, LA Knight, his like hometown is in Hagerstown, which is like literally that's where I that's where I work, and so it's very close to home here. He his brother, LA Knight's brother, works out at my old gym, which is I don't want to plug it because I don't really care. But uh, LA Knight went to the gym recently while he was home after the Hagerstown gave him like the key to the city, honored him for, you know, him being like a big star and everything he did this year. Uh, He went to that gym uh, over the week. So, like, I can only imagine what that looked like in there. Oh, I'm sure it was a mess. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah yeah (laughs) um so after this you know going to a wwf show they saw the the entertainment value the glitz the glamour they inferred the lifestyle and that's kind of what they were after um they wanted to make a career of it wanted to be stars that kind of thing you know what you kind of think of and what you kind of do when you're a younger person right you know you're looking at it glass half full all this looks like something i could be famous in i could have the lifestyle that i'd absolutely love to have like Mm -hmm. that sort of thing so that led them to be trained by uh rick bassman and red bastine um so this was in california and then once they had you know done the training you know they could be safe and not you know break their necks and stuff or somebody else's neck uh, they began working the indies around California. So uh, this is the point where, you know, you're released to the wind. And um, <clears throat> it was interesting that Rick Bassman still continued to work with them pretty closely at this point. Yeah. Um, they were, he was actually managing him and Hellwig and a couple other guys uh, under the faction name Power Team USA. I'm sure he I'm sure he was collecting some uh, some royalties off that as well along the way. Oh, I'm sure there was some kind of managerial fees. Oh, yeah. Um, Interesting side note. Rick Bassman is also the same guy who found John Cena. Yes. And brought him to the WWE. Well, to to J.R. Who then signed him. Her. Her. Shots of fires. 
He's a great so, guy to be finding talent in the gym. Yeah, yeah. You need to find some muscle-bound guys. Rick Bassman has you covered, brother. Mm-hmm. Um, and then speaking of impressions, um, <laughs> at this point, um, Sting and uh, Jim Justice, Jim Helwig, Douchebag McGee, were sending out press kits to different um, like bigger territories. Uh, trying to get work, to get off the indie scene, to make a little bit more money. They weren't making a ton of money. They weren't real happy with their position, um, but they were cutting their teeth. Um, so they sent out the different press kits, and uh, Jerry Jarrett saw her, or not her. Aww. Uh, well, he found, you know, you know, you, you get the chicken and, and, and the grapes and, and the mayonnaise and chicken salad <laughs> uh, so he saw their press kit and decided um, that he needed to have uh, Sting and Jim Helwig um, he wanted them to come out to Memphis and start working uh, they came in as the Freedom Fighters uh, just which sounds like a name that gets over um, Hind- hindsight hindsight not yeah. a great name for one half of the team. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's Memphis. That's no Memphis kidding. was an enormous territory back in the day, and absolutely, yeah. And and you would, I can see how they would think that if we go to Memphis, we're gonna we're gonna be made stars. We're gonna we're gonna be over, and then we can eventually break up, become whatever we want to become. And so I can see why they would have wanted to go to Memphis and go with the King and the Jarretts and all that, like. They ran a really good promotion for a long time. Absolutely. And, like, you didn't need to be the best worker in the world to work there, too. No. Um, Because it was entertainment. Right. I mean, yes, it was wrestling entertainment, and you were, you still needed to be safe, and you needed to be able to look good. Mm -hmm. But you didn't need to be, you know, triple, double Google Google planches from the top rope and, you know, uh, chain wrestling either so um jerry Jarrett brought him in they came in as the freedom fighters uh it was jim justice helwig and then sting was known as flash at the time well i don't know why this man has always used one single name like madonna or rihanna <laughs> but <laughs> he's just iconic i guess um and i think the, the flash i think the flash is a cool name like yeah jim justice and the flash is kind of cool yeah, I, 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 I'm never going to associate coolness with Jim Helwig, but um, <laughs> this will be the uh, praise sting, absolutely slander, ultimate warrior hour. Um, <laughs> just, just if you guys haven't figured that out already, that's where we're That's where I'm going with this. I have an agenda <laughs> and it is to disparage Jim Helwig. Um, and at this point, um, they're having a bit of a rough time in their career. Um, yeah, they're new. They're not, they're working on getting over, but they're not there yet. They aren't the best workers in the world. Uh, they look like a million and a half bucks and that's kind of what's getting them booked. Right. Um, but, and, and to boot, even on top of, you know, them having a lower place on the card, Jerry Jarrett was not known for being the best paying booker in the world. Um, hence why he got he was able to run memphis for so long exactly as dutch mantel said 
one time said, hell, Jerry, some of us aren't even on food. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's not a big, not a big surprise that at this point it was a little rough, uh, for them. Um, so like they were sleeping in Sting's car. They weren't having that glitz and glam WWF lifestyle. They thought they might have, um, <clears throat> and they weren't getting over in Memphis, like I said, because they weren't the best wrestlers in the world. You didn't have to be, but they were still so young and so green that they weren't even meeting the Memphis standards at the time. They were for sure paying um, their dues. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's yeah. very the age old story where we had to go somewhere and paying our dues and it sucked. And this is definitely where they got their feet wet in the rest. Yes, of the absolutely. Absolutely. They started to gain some regional exposure. Um, and then that led um from here that led to them getting an offer from bill watts in the uwf uwf is a really interesting territory and a promotion Uh, that there is a really good documentary on that if dark side of the ring they did the stuff on uwf which is really interesting and uwf as uh, a whole is very interesting kind of like what happened later on with it which we'll, we'll cover here soon yeah yeah um well, if it's the world, well, if it's the World Wrestling Federation, we need to be bigger, damn it! So we're the Universal Wrestling Federation <laughs> because what's bigger than the world? The, the universe. universe. Bill Watts' logical ass mind. Yep. <laughs> Jeez. So, uh, this was about '86. So this is, um, you know, this is about where he starts to where Sting uh, really starts to get cooking here. Mm-hmm. Um. So they come in as the Blade Runners. Um, so this is where Sting earned or gets the name Sting. Yes. Um, he had some different names, obviously, we've talked about up to this point. Um, but they're the Blade Runners Sting and Rock. Um, and Rock is obviously Douchebag McGee. <laughs> um, and when they came in, they were actually heaters for Eddie Gilbert and Missy Hyatt. So they came in to be the muscle. They were a, a lower card tag team at this point um but they were paired with eddie gilbert eddie gilbert saw a lot in these two yep um and advocated for sting later on which very um, was, the, the was, blade runners were very reminiscent of the Dun- or the legion of doom yes and yeah, or they the were warriors yeah they were i mean they i don't i don't know that the road warriors ever ever wore eye makeup they had more face paint but yeah yeah um <laughs> Sting and eyeliner is 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 certainly a choice. Um, <laughs> so, but they were the heaters for Eddie Gilbert and Missy Hyatt. Again, cutting their teeth a little bit more, getting more experience, learning to work a little bit better. The thing about the UWF was they ran hard and they yes. ran a lot of time, a lot of dates. You know, that's you know they're working seven days a week, twice on Sundays, kind of thing. Right. A lot of miles in the car because it was such a big territory. Um, So this is where they where they really cut their teeth. They really started to be able to work a little bit better, except for Jim. He never learned how to work for shit. Um, But Sting learned he he learned that, hey, I am green. And he learned um, that he needed to, you know, how to learn how to listen and learn how to work a little bit better. Um, So this is kind of where they did that. In the meantime, they were still, you know, lower on the card and they were still financially struggling. Um, but Fritz von Erich um, at World Class 
saw them. Uh, and just like Jerry Jarrett and Bill Watts before him, thought he saw dollar signs. Yep. Um, so he he gave um, he gave them an offer to come in and work in uh, world class. This is one of the first times um, that you'll see in the as a thread throughout Sting's career of being loyal to someone. I think um, that's a. I think it's a really good point that you made being loyal because when you think of Sting, that he is the most loyal. I think outside of Undertaker, he's the most loyal wrestler, brand loyal wrestler that has ever been. Yep. He was loyal to the soil and would not leave no matter what, how bad it ever got. And it's kind of one of those things where imagine if he would have left and did other things outside of even like if he wouldn't have been so loyal to even world-class and all that. Yeah, no, I mean, it. it's certainly an interesting story uh, if you have them flip roles. Mm -hmm. uh, if you have him and Warrior flip roles as to, did, if Sting went to world-class, he would have ended up at WWF. Oh, for sure. And, and he would have been, he could very well have been, you know, in that Warrior spot, the heir apparent to Hogan, the next person. And would he have done a better job? Would he have been able to be lasting? It's hard to say. Following up Hogan, I mean, because when he did it in WCW, it, he ended up getting eaten up by Hogan, anyways. I would say I love I love Sting, but he was never as big a star. Yeah. Now, part of that is not fair because Hogan came in with all of that, you know, equity behind it. Right. So. It's hard to say. I think Sting would have done a good job in WWF, and he would have been a top guy either way. Um, but I don't know. So it's one of those great unknown questions. But we finally would have got that Stinger-Undertaker uh, match. Everybody yeah. But, um, so they get the offer to go to world class. Sting decides he wants to stay loyal Um to Bill Watts for giving him a break and putting mm -hmm. him on TV and, and, and that sort of thing. And Hellwig leaves, um, to become the dingo warrior. Uh, like I said, he then goes, uh, to the WWF after that becomes the ultimate warrior, uh, the rise and fall of ultimate warrior then goes after that and becomes the ultimate racist and then eventually dies. Oh my God. What a burial rest in piss bozo. <laughs> Good Lord. Meanwhile, <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile, Sting turns babyface, something I don't have the capacity to be. Um, and he worked his way up the card uh, in in the UWF. And um, it, this is based while while Sting was turning babyface. This is basically where everyone this is where he forms the iconic Sting, you know, surfer Sting character. He starts painting the face he is basically their breakout star <laughs> and somebody that they thought was going to be the biggest star moving forward and he was completely over with not only the kids but even the adults as well here even with the face paint right and so you make a good point this is kind of where the surfer sting um look started to crystallize um 
And it was enhanced later when he ran into Dusty and JCP, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But mm-hmm. um, this is kind of where it started to come together for him as a singles wrestler. He hadn't been a singles wrestler up to this point. So he was learning how to work as a single and learning how to be a baby face and to get over as a baby face and started to crystallize this. And he was a big part of what we'll talk about in a second. What of He was a big part of JCP buying um the uwf he was a big piece of that they wanted to have sting they they wanted their next big baby face yeah um for they someone needed, who could comp- they yeah. needed one desperately right i mean it so for so long it had been dominated by the four horsemen and flair and 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 a big heel champion or, or some kind of heel champion um and you know dusty's dusty's shtick only had so long Right, you know, it, um, they lost Magnum, and they were in yeah. the they were in the spot where they needed they were in desperate need of a babyface, and they found yeah. it. Yeah, they absolutely did. Uh, probably would have been better if they would have got him a couple years sooner. Uh, yeah, the, staved off. The, yeah, the the whole the, the worst part. But... I, I'd say the worst part about them finding Sting and getting the UWF deal when they did was that not only was. Jim Crockett promotions just pissing money away. I mean, when them them buying UWF was one one of the biggest dominoes that killed them later on was because they spent so much money that they didn't have to get Sting. But luckily, Sting was the only thing that they needed, so they basically paid for Sting. And it basically was one of the biggest things that bankrupt them. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that was the interesting part about it too. Like there was some other stuff going on with Jimmy Crockett and potentially some marriage infidelities and Dusty wanting to live back in Texas again um, as part of that. So having two offices, one in uh, one in the Carolinas and one in Texas and the impacts that had on the business. And and so the private, there was a lot of, the private stardust. Um, yeah. You know, so there was a lot of, there was a lot of good and bad out of that, but what it did was it put stinger in a more national spot mm-hmm. uh, for focusing specifically on sting. Um, and dusty saw the vision for him right away. Um, yes, baby. I see he, you in the bright light. Yeah. star. Move it star. I see it, baby. I see you as a champion, baby. Exactly. You wanted to put some color on his face. That's that's all I got for Dusty. Cody Rhodes hated that. (laughs) Shout out to good friend of the show, Cody Rhodes. Um, (laughs) So, uh, you know, Sting Sting made the made the comment on a dynamite promo that when he saw Dusty, Dusty told him he wanted to put color on his face, color on his tights, Mm -hmm. really take that presentation to the next level. So, it's super interesting. Dusty saw the vision for it, and he let him get over mm-hmm. in a sustainable way. He didn't want to push him too fast. Um, so if you kind of track how he was doing things, Dusty protected him in quite a bit until he was ready for the main event. He let him work. He let him continue to develop, continue to get over with the fans, didn't push him too soon. Um and by the time the first clash of the champions came around, he decided to pull the trigger. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is where he had his first match against Flair for the NWA heavyweight title. Um, and this was this was sort of in revenge for um, Starcade '87 and booking SummerSlam against it to draw them, to, you know, to kind of intentionally hurt that. So they booked this class of champions on TBS uh, mm-hmm. as a free show, free on TV. Correct. Um, and they had and this was up against Mania One. Right. So. It was on top was Flair and Sting for the heavyweight title, um, and really this is this this is the match that puts Sting on the map. Correct. Um, and he talks about really, it all the time. Yeah, yeah. Him and Rick talk about it all the time. It was one of those matches that made Sting elevated him, showed that he could hang in the main event. They had an absolute rip snorter of a of a match. Um, in terms of like wrestling quality. It was probably the best match of the entire show, both on Clash of the Champions and on WrestleMania One. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and and Ring ta- and Rick talks about this match and and kind of summarizes it that you know Sting had the right look, it was at the right time, and he had the right attitude. Right, and this was him putting it all together in a big way. Was with him the whole time, didn't miss a spot. And you have to remember this is around the time where it was pretty universally understood that the best wrestler uh, in the world was Ric Flair. Right. So Sting hung with him, never missed a spot, was right there with him. So that's high praise. Um, and this really solidified Sting in the in the upper echelon of JCP mm-hmm. and uh, really cemented him as a top guy. Uh, and then Very following, much. yeah, and then following this, he went on to have uh, feuds with uh, Flair and the Horsemen, uh, which continued to propel him in popularity because they were the big heel faction. Um, and it was at this time he really became the face of the company as far as being the most popular, you know, good guy. Yes. Uh, good with the women and the children. And the kids liked him and, you know, good wrestler and that kind of thing. So he really became the stir that straws the drink or the, the, wow, dyslexia, the straw that stirs the drink uh, for WCW. He was the one that they sent out for all the press tours, the media stuff, you know, you need to send out and get somebody, get a pop and bring the fans home happy. This is kind of also, also in the time too, when he wins his first uh, singles title as well. Yes. Um, so that comes uh, immediately after the fl- the feud with Flair. Yep. He's working with the Road Warriors and Dusty. Um, so he's teaming with Dusty against the Road Warriors. They didn't win the tag titles, but he showed he could work with hard hitters and brawlers and not just be carried by, quote-unquote, carried by Flair. Yep. Um, after that, he becomes the TV champion. That's his first singles title in JCP. Mm-hmm. Defeats um, Mike Rotunda. Yes, he defeats Mike Rotunda. Um, and then he goes on to feud with Muda over it. I know, which is even a greater, is, a, is an even better uh, series of matches. Yeah. Um, and the the interesting part of this was they had a match at, I don't remember if it was Starcade that year or Great American Bash. Um, I want to say it was Great American Bash. 
where it was kind of a it was a dusty finish it was a screwy finish um but it that kind of overshadowed a really great match and then muda ended up winning it at a house show yeah um, something like that yeah yeah so it was a little bit of wonky booking but it was a really great um feud between the two of them and it's it was cool to see these two you know <clears throat> soon to be in future legends working together having a match mm-hmm. sting working with someone who wasn't you know established and over um but using his star power to start to make someone else and be able to be in there independently with obviously someone who's good in the ring mm-hmm. um but you know being the lead dog in that right um so after that <laughs> Sting actually started a program with Rick again uh, that led to him reforming the Horsemen as baby faces. That's a weird, that is a weird like little summer deal that they did where he was like a horseman and they wasn't. And then in there yeah. too, he was saved by Robocop. Like there's, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> a weird the, the, like, little thing. It's a little weird little time for WCW. Yeah, they're trying they're trying to get to Sting as the champion and uh, okay, you know, the Sting comes out and saves Flair because they had a program together whatever. Then we bring in Ole and Arn um and their babyface horsemen for a while. Um and then where they progressed the storyline was at Starcade 89. They had a they had a round robin tournament Mm-hmm. And Sting beat Rick in the finals of that tournament, and that made him the number one contender for Flair's world title. Correct. Um, so being a member of the Horsemen, but not being the lead dog and the lead dog being the champion, Flair told him to give it up. And Sting didn't want to do that. Um, so they kicked him out. And there's a very uh, famous promo in the ring with all four of the Horsemen and Oli's browbeating the hell out of Sting, <laughs> smacks him, um, and then they beat the crap out of him and kick him out of the Horseman essentially because he wouldn't give up his shot at Flair's title. Yep. Um, this was supposed to lead to a big matter, big match at Wrestle War ninety, um, where Sting was supposed to win the championship. So this, what's interesting about this is there was almost a race at the time. Because WWF knew that they wanted to have um, the ultimate racist as the next guy. <laughs> and everybody knew that Sting was going to be the next guy. Yeah. And they wanted to get to these two lead dogs, right? And it Because they are similar. They're both big, jacked-up dudes. One can actually work. One runs around, blows himself up, and snorts like a weirdo. <laughs> But he was charismatic. They both painted their face. There's a lot of similarities. They used to be a tag team. So they were, you know, who was going to get to it first? And that felt like the one who was going to be more successful. Correct. Uh, So they actually had it booked that Sting was going to get to it first. He was going to be the world champion first. Which probably, which in hindsight, I think is probably better that he didn't. Yeah. Um, So there was um, an angle on a show. Sting was trying to get into a cage to get to the horseman because Flair was in there with him in a match and he was doing dastardly heel shit Mm -hmm. as one does. 
Um, and he was he got knocked off the cage, and when he landed on the entrance way, he just blew his whole knee out. Yep, just gone forever. Um, and then Flair came out and started stomping on the knee because he thought he was selling. And Sting was like, "No, no, no, bad, no <laughs> knee gone. I don't have ligaments like hanging on by a thread here, pal. Please don't kick me." Um. So that was the injury that kind of set this whole thing back. It was like six or nine months. Yeah. Uh, it was a pretty good amount of time. I don't remember the exact, so apologies. But um, So they ended up scrapping that. So what they did was they inserted one jacked up dude for another. Um, and they put Luger in that spot. Yep. And ultimately, uh, Flair refused to drop the title to him. So this was supposed to be the spot where the belt changed hands, uh, but Flair wouldn't. Flair wouldn't do it. Um, after Sting got hurt, he went and saw him at the hospital, gave him the belt, and said, "This was supposed to be yours next, um, and I'm going to make sure that happens. I don't care what they tell me. Mm-hmm. I'm not dropping it to anybody but you." Which um, Flair had that kind of pull. He did. He absolutely did. Um, and it was so that's kind of a similar thing he did to Magnum. Yeah. Uh at the time. Uh when when Magnum had his car accident. Um so you feel for Luger a little bit. Um but hey, it's a it's a choice that Rick made. Right. And, and a good choice. Uh, yeah, it it was. Um so Sting heals up. Um after a while, he gets back on TV. This is where the RoboCop thing comes in. They have him on TV as a draw uh, and working uh, on the outside and stuff while he's still rehabbing. Uh, this is where the RoboCop things come in. He's in a he's in a steel like cage, like they used yeah, to put shark tank. in. Yeah. yeah, like a shark cage kind of thing. Um, and at one point, Turner Home Video was trying to push RoboCop. So um <laughs> that's how you get the weird crossovers. They all start at JCP. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Turner Home Entertainment. Um so they wanted to push that. So they had a guy in a Robocop outfit. I don't know if it was the actual person who played Robocop or not. It, I don't it, yeah, no, they talked about it on Tony. It wasn't the actual Robocop, it was just an actor. And he comes out in full gimmick, walking like Robocop, talking like Robocop. And they had him bust the bars open to let yeah. Sting out of the shark cage. And then Sting came in, a couple lariats, you know, what he could do with his knee and and all that stuff. Um, I still want that shirt from Pro, Pro Wrestling Great. I, I think you have it, don't you? I No, I don't. I don't have it. Oh, I want that shirt. It's him and RoboCop. Just It's a great shirt, though. Thumbs up. Yeah, I need to find it. Um, so... He heals up. They set the stage for the match. The match happens at Great American Bash 1990. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those all-time iconic moments in wrestling and in Sting's career. He's got the sparkly red, white, and blue jacket like he likes it. He's got the face paint that's an American flag. Um, great great figure, just, by the way. Yep. Have it. The face isn't as good, and that's what draws it back for me, but yeah, it looks good. Um and they have a great match 
they play all the Ric Flair hits, um, you know, put the baby face in peril, blah, blah, blah. It ends up Sting gets him in a roll up. Yep. One, two, three. He's the new champion. Finally put the man on the top of the mountain where he belongs. Um, and it made Sting. Sting was a made man for for the, the rest, rest of his career. career after that. Yep. Um, huge reaction from the crowd. The crowd wanted it. Uh, they sent all the baby faces out to the ring afterward to congratulate him and uh, something you'd see again in, you know, about nine or seven years or so. Um, so finally wins the world title. All-timer established AF. One thing you will see, though, as a theme throughout Sting's career is the buildup to him winning is, is often better than the rain. Yeah, the the journey is always better than the rain, which really sucks. And, and we'll that's a theme later in episode two. Yeah. And and I think part of it was, and if you listen to JR's uh podcast about Sting, about like, I think it was early nineties Sting or I forget what the exact timeline was, but it yeah. was Sting early on. Was that they didn't do a good enough job having people ready for Sting. Right. Uh, again, people have often said it's harder to book a babyface champion um, because there's only so much you can do. Like they're in a set of parameters, they have to be the good guy. They have to go over. They can't cheat. There's there's very little room to do creative things. So it's yes. that's why people got bored with John Cena booking because beat the shit out of him. Babyface rises to the occasion. Yep, wins in the end. So it's a little bit harder. Like it, baby faces are always better in the chase. Yes, they're they're in, and I think that's very reminiscent of everything you see today. It's always there. There's more fun in the chase than there is in the rain. Right, right. That could very well be a problem with one of our favorite wrestlers when they decide to pull the trigger on him. Hopefully not. And I hope I hope they have better booking sense. Uh, yeah, at that place. but getting back to his favorite wrestler as a child. Um, so after he wins his first, uh, couple feuds are with Sid, um, and then the black scorpion, the black scorpion thing is so bad. Everyone knows it's flair. It's so bad. Everyone knows that it's flair and that it, uh, they started, they started wooing in that final match because they saw his nose sticking out of the hood. Yeah. But it's not good. So to give a little backstory, and not to belabor it too much. Black Scorpion was supposed to be this mysterious figure from Sting's past. Uh, it was actually Ole Anderson uh, making a joke. And then the Turner executives went, that's a great story. And kind of put himself into a corner. So he's just like booking on the fly, trying to figure out something. It's a big haha for him. Uh, at one point, they insinuate that it could be Warrior. Yeah. And the the original person who was supposed to be uh, the Black Scorpion, Al Perez, didn't want to do it. Yep. Um, they had some other guys rotate in and out. Um, and finally, to give this thing a merciful death, it ended up being Flair. And this um, is also the time, too, in WCW where they broke away from JCP and they became their own independent company. So that's why Turner had more pull because Turner was in full control now of everything. Yeah, 
Yeah, at this point, it was the WCW. It was no longer JCP. Turner owned it. And right about this time is when they they moved away from the NWA. Yep. Um, so they gave it a merciful death. They had Flair under the hood. He wins. Uh, and a little bit after this, Sting dropped the title to Flair uh, to end this first run as world champion. He went after this to do uh, some other upper mid-card kind of things. Uh, he he and Luger teamed together against the Steiners, had a good tag match there at Super Brawl 1. Mm-hmm. Worked with uh, Nikita Koloff uh, after this, and he went on to win the U.S. title in a um, in a tournament because the title had been vacated. And this is where he started a feud with the Dangerous Alliance and also Luger at the same time. Yes. Um because he started the the thing started by beating Steve Austin in the finals of that world of that U.S. title tournament. Um, and then interestingly he enough, dropping... he, interestingly enough, in that he ends up beating somebody who else comes down the line. He beats a stunning yep. Steve Austin, who we all know is Stone Cold Steve Austin, become the U.S. Uh, heavyweight champion. Yeah. Um, so he ends up dropping the U.S. title three months later to Rick Rude. Uh, and continued to feud with the Dangerous Alliance and also Luger. And Luger at the time was the WCW heavyweight champion because this is at the point where Flair had taken the belt uh, to WWF uh, and had it yeah. on TV with him. Uh, yeah, so they had the weird looking, the weird looking WCW belt that no one yeah. likes. Yeah, exactly. Um, so he ended up winning that WCW heavyweight title from Luger at Super Brawl 2 for a second world title reign. Mm-hmm. Um, continued to feud with the Dangerous Alliance and then took them on at uh, War Games at uh, Wrestle War 92. The Sting Squadron. The this best is... name for a oh, team in the history of ever. So the Sting good. Squadron. These early WCW shows, everyone, they're they're... I mean, you don't have to watch the weekly TVs, but those these mm-hmm. early WCW early '90s shows are awesome. Yeah. Um, at this point, he moved into his pretty famous feud with Vader. Uh, yeah. Title. Oh my gosh, Vader um, beat the tar out of this poor man. Yeah, as in everybody Leon, else. Leon forgot that this was a work. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, so I know in their I know title, in their match. I know, yeah, I know in their one match in April of 92, that's whenever he breaks Sting's ribs and ruptures his spleen. Yeah, yeah. Um, And so after this, um, after he healed up, he actually, they had the the big match and they dropped, and Sting dropped the title to Vader. Um, And then he got, (laughs) consolation prize, I guess, he won the King of Cable tournament. Um. (laughs) And beat Leon in the finals, but Leon didn't have the uh, heavyweight title at that point. Yeah. Um, Leon ended they, up getting it back. They ended up um, having a series of matches, just brutal yeah. matches, and they, they ended up trading it back and forth a couple times. Yeah. Um, and then it kind of really culminated as far as the this at this point with their matches. Culminated in the strap match at Super Brawl 3, which mm-hmm. Sting lost. 
but it was another one of those, okay, Sting is still trying to get him over, work with him, be the baby face to his big nasty heel, got the shit kicked out of him. Mm. Um, God, but Vader just brutalized everybody. Oh. Yeah. Um, but ultimately this did this did end up in one of the funniest things WCW ever did, which was the Beach Blast 93 vignette oh, with Sid Beach and Blast Vader. Beach Blast is so awesome. Beach, every, I, I, everybody, if you're listening to this, please go watch. Just invest your time into early WCW in the 90s because Beach Blast 93 is awesome. It was a little weird, the, the, the mini movie they had. Not weird. It's amazing. They had a little person. They had an exploding boat. Yeah. Uh, it sounds a like a great action in movie. In full gear. Yeah. Sid just in flip-flops. It, why not? Why not? Didn't want to get sand in between his toes. It would get it in his cleats for softball season. You can't have that <laughs> running in the bases. Um, so they ended up at, at Beach Blast 93. It was Davy Boy and Stinger um, against Vader and Sid. Uh, Vader, to kind of end this, Davy Boy and Sting won. Um, Vader later dropped the title back to Flair when he returned uh, from the WWF. Yep, which is another weird time where Flair tested the waters in in New York and then came back pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, that leads so us that into... was towards the end. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. That. Yeah. That. that all of this kind of led to what is an underrated feud in early 94. Yeah. Uh, it was Sting and Rick Rude again, but this time it was for the international world heavyweight title, which is what they called the old WCW title. Yes. After Flair brought big gold back when he came back to the company. Yes. Uh, so they had had some matches and then they had a match scheduled at wrestling. Dontaku in mm-hmm. Japan, and that was for this title. Um, and Rude actually won the match, but was hurt. Um, it, so it is, his career was ended. Uh, yeah, it was his. It made him retire. Clicked the Lloyds of London. Yeah, in uh, uh, coincidentally with the spring springboard plancha. Thanks. Things he should not have been doing. Yeah. Um. So the. International World Heavyweight title. Terrible name for it, by the way. Yeah, not um, a good name. They had uh, a tournament, uh, and Sting ended up beating Vader for the title. Um, and then a little bit down the line, they had a unification match between uh, Flair and Sting. Another running theme throughout Sting's career is Flair versus Sting. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a unification match um with Flair with the World Heavyweight title, the Big Gold Belt, and Sting with the International World Heavyweight title um, at Clash of the Champions 27. Um, and they were both baby faces at this time. So during, at the end of the match, uh, Flair actually turned heel, um, won, unified the titles into the, you know, the World Heavyweight title. So that belt went away. The, the International belt went away. Um, and this was done as a prep for Hogan coming in. So Hogan was obviously going to be the baby face. Yeah. And the money match was Flair and Hogan, right? 
So um, all of this was done to make sure that Flair, there were stakes, Flair was champion, Flair was a heel again uh, in prep for Hogan coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, so for the rest of 94 and, and into 95, Sting actually was working with Hogan. He was uh, wearing the red and yellow, uh, was babyface team with Hogan. Uh, taking on the dungeon, <laughs> taking on the dungeons of doom, um, and then that part of that later, Hogan, you know, was working with Flair and was working on top as the champion and uh, working against the dungeon of doom. Uh, while that's going on, Sting kind of splits off and is working the U.S. title uh, with a program with Ming. Mm-hmm. Um, so he Good won stuff. it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He won it at Great American Bash 95 against Ming and then retained it uh, at Bash at the Beach. And that was kind of what he was doing for the majority of 95. Um, At this point, there had been some power changes. Um, Bischoff was in power by this point as the executive producer. And they were moving into the Nitro era. Um, And whenever something big needed to be done... You needed a main event match. There are two people you called in WCW. Yep. Sting and Flair. Um, so they main evented the first Nitro. Um, that was when um, Puffy Shirt Luger came out and redebuted. Puffy Shirt, Puffy Shirt Luger. <laughs> I actually need that figure now. It's a build a figure. Yeah. It's It'll be out, coming but... in the April. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, following this, uh, Flair was kind of like half-ass babyface. Uh, he asked Sting to team with him against Arn and Pillman, and wouldn't you know it, that son of a bitch turns heel and reforms the Four Horsemen. Yeah, who'd have saw that one coming? Yeah, I know, right? Flair's a yeah. heel. Who would have guessed? Yeah. And the Four Horsemen, another version of the Four Horsemen. Um, Stinger ended up beating Flair at World War 1995 uh, to sort of end the feud for now. Now we're uh, into the... Ni- 1996 is a, is a year of transition, though, for your fellow Stinger, though. And this is kind of where... This is kind of like where things start to kind of wrap up for the Surfer era. Yeah, it really is. And this was before... So, like... Early in 1996, you can start to see Sting, I don't want to say reinventing himself, but tweaking the look. Um, If you listen to him talk about this time, he knew the character was, I don't want to say beating a dead horse, but sort of run its course. Yeah. Um, So, In a fair assessment to his point. It's true. I mean, he had done everything you could do with that character. Um, he'd been to the top of the mountain. He'd been the biggest baby face, the icon, the worker of, you know, the, the every person of that, of that promotion. Like, what do you, where do you go? Um, so at this point he had stopped dyeing his hair. Uh, so he was letting his natural color brown hair out and he was actually starting to grow it out. Yeah. Um, and he started wearing darker colored ring attire it wasn't 
less flashy. It didn't have didn't have didn't not have the sequins and then the, less vibrant. Yeah, yeah. It was instead of the brighter colors, it was darker colors. Um, and you could started to see that he knew he needed to do some kind of evolution. Mm-hmm. This is all prior to what would eventually end up happening with the outsiders and the NWO and the idea of the crow from Scott Hall. And that's what I think. So this is all prior to that. Yes. Um, But at this point he's teaming with Luger uh, and they won the world titles from Harlem heat uh, in a pretty good match in early 96. Um, At this time or a little bit later, um, Luger ended up, uh, costing sting a title match uh against the giant Mm -hmm. um so again all prior to the nwo didn't know that the outsiders were coming in it looked like sting was going to be having a program with luger um because of the cost loss and that was probably going to be sting's summer um prior to kevin outsiders uh, kevin nash and scott hall coming into the promotion so at this point this is kind of where uh we'll stop our deep dive for now uh, on this because we're not the when where we'll pick up with episode two is hogan's turn yeah we'll pick it yeah and that happens at bash at the beach 96 so that's where so we'll wrap it up here today and i think that was a really good end point because then we can kind of because there's a lot of things that went into bash at the beach 96 and you know it's where sting's whole career takes the biggest flip and really who you've seen as the big company man the vibrant baby face that you know not only the kids and the adults like now it really gets flipped on its head to where we'll talk about in episode two where he becomes the crow and it's a completely different sting so um we can wrap this up today. This was a really, I think it's a great start to the Icon series. I love Surfer Sting. I encourage all of you all to go back and watch those matches. Early WCW in the 90s is amazing. Uh, great American great American Bash uh, 1990 uh, with Sting is a great one. Uh, all of those. Wrestle War 92. Um, War Games 95 is a great one. The yep. Sting Squadron from the earlier War Games matches is great. Um, there you won't find a better representation of WCW in the early '90s than Sting. Yeah, it was interesting. I saw a comment about for all of the things that WCW in the early '90s didn't do well and and couldn't make happen. One thing that they absolutely did improve they could do was get and keep that man over. Yeah, and it's kind um, of like the the evidence of today, kind of. Even in the only thing that they, it seems like the only thing that AEW consistently does right and well throughout the history of their time with him was do Sting right. Yeah, and that, so, and maybe that's because he's doing his own booking, but maybe we'll see. But we'll get to but, that later. We'll get to yeah. that later for sure. All right. Well, this that was fun, was, man. Appreciate it. It was fun. It seriously was fun. It was awesome. This was this was a great start. Uh, I really liked going through all of the years, though. We basically did eighty. We did eighty six to ninety six today, and uh, so yes. Yeah, so if you are new to the channel or you're new to the show, make sure you drop a like and subscribe. Uh, we'll be back with 
episode two, and that's where we'll cover the uh, creation of NWO and then jump into Crow Sting and maybe Tomato Face Sting as well. So uh, we'll jump into that and uh, make sure you follow us on socials at the underscore Podsky on Twitter and or X and Instagram. And you follow uh, JC at the Podsky Doc. And, uh, and if you'd some- like to see more of Sting's fine work, you can always check out the first season of Hot Shots Wrestling Alliance. <laughs> Available exclusively on the Podsky YouTube channel. In yeah. Technicolor. Beautiful 18K video evidence of me <laughs> whipping that ass. Uh, we don't want to talk about that. But yes. Yeah, we do. We want to shout it from the mountaintops. <laughs> Where JC beat me uh in my GM on 2K23. Um but yeah, we got that we got that in the archives. And uh so yeah, we got some good stuff coming up for the year. We we're gonna be taking a look at uh WrestleMania 20. Uh we're gonna be doing No Way Out 2004. Uh, there's a lot of good things coming. Uh so be sure to check it out here on the Podski, and we will see you next time.